All right, today、um, I'll be reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of God. We are looking at the final,、uh, sort of final ending, concluding remarks of the letter of Paul、uh, to the church in Colossae. We've been in this book, the book of Colossians, for a few months actually. We spent all of our fall here, but last few weeks, because of retreat and oak tree run and also what transpired in Itaewon, we took about a three week break. So, I think it's only appropriate that I give a quick sort of review so that I know you guys are reading every day Colossians and you guys are in it. But let me just, for those of you guys that are just joining us, let me do a quick review and we're going to jump into the passage that was read in Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. The book of Colossians, like many of you guys know, it's an actual letter, like an email that we write, but they didn't have emails, they wrote letters. By a man named Paul, a minister, a church planter, someone who went through a radical transformation himself. He's writing to a church that he's never been to,、uh, but it, it's been planted by those he discipled. And Paul writes、uh, one, because he's unable to visit. In fact, he is under house arrest, waiting in Rome for his trial. But Paul had two main purposes. For writing or picking up the pen to write to church in Colossae. One, it's to encourage the young church to continue in their faithfulness in Jesus and nothing else. And second, to warn them against false teachers that were causing chaos in the church with their structure and ideas. So we talked about that in chapters one, two, how Paul speaks against anything. That draws us outside of Christ. And Paul says, Come back to Christ. You were saved in Christ. Now, why are you trying to add to Christ? So, the fourth chapter, which we're going to be handling portion of, portions of today, is really the continu- continuation of the thought that began in chapter three, which we were in about a month ago. At the beginning of chapter three, if you remember, We said, Paul, in every letter of Paul, there's an intentional shift from theology to the street, from theology to the living room. And having, having explained this wonderful truth about God in chapters one and two, in chapters three, he says, therefore, if then, moving theology into not only their streets, but also to the living room. So, in chapter 3, if, if, you, if you read through Colossians chapter 3, Paul speaks about how we ought to approach our marriage as new, those that are new in Christ. The way we parent, the way we obey our own parents, how we ought to approach work in light of Christ, the relationships in our workplaces. In verse 24, he adds, That we're not simply serving or loving people, but ultimately we are serving the Lord. That's why it's so important that we take our relationship seriously. And this is really important because 
the Colossian church was really struggling, right? Young church, zealous for the Lord, and then these false teachers came in and said, hey, if you want to be level two Christian or better Christian, you got to follow all these rules. Paul stands against it, and Paul says, everything I ask you to do, chapters three and four, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good child, being a good parent, this is, this is not... Paul's very, very clear about this. These are simply results of being invited and loved and accepted by Jesus first. Again, this is important because these false teachers that enter the church in Colossae at the time enter this community with extensive systems and structures and rules, extra rules. I talked about how my Korean neighbor talks about the morning prayer. Korean church as a morning prayer going Christian and then non-morning prayer going Christian. They're different levels. Not, not all churches, but similar idea. But throughout this particular letter, Paul confronted these rules and structures, reminding the young Christians that we are saved by faith alone and grace alone, and all of these things are merely response to what Jesus has done for us. So with that in mind... Let me remind us once again, the challenges that Paul has for us in chapters 3 and 4 are not what saves you and I. Friends, chapters 3 and 4, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good boss, being a good father, these are godly things, but these are not what gets us in. They are mere response to what we have already received in Christ. So Paul says, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to truly love our spouse. But in Christ, we can, right? It's hard. Some of you guys this week had rough arguments with your spouse, maybe parenting, maybe with your own parents, in your work relationships. It it wasn't all pretty, right? Yet, we're reminded once again, every time we come and gather as a community and as we read this letter in Colossians 3, we are reminded in Christ, we can. In Christ, we have been empowered. In Christ, we have experienced and seen love. And in Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, the beginning of, right before our passage, Paul says, we have a new master in heaven. And he's the one that allows us to live out these ways. So our passage chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, Paul has three practices. If you're taking notes, three practices in mind as he concludes this letter. One, pray continuously with gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. Second, pray continuously for the advancement of the gospel. Pray for me, Paul says, that I may have more opportunity to declare clearly the truth of God. So pray continuously with gratitude. Pray continuously for the advancement of the gospel. And three, walk and speak in wisdom. So first, pray continuously with gratitude. Verse 2, Paul says, in in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul Paul says, Friends, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does it mean to steadfastly pray? 17th century monk named Brother Lawrence wrote this masterful work titled The Practice of the Presence of God. He says this about prayer, and I think this is where Paul is getting at through our passage, and I quote, The time of busyness does not differ with me from the time of prayer. 
and in the noise and clutter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. So, so, so what Paul, when Paul encourages us to continue to pray in steadfastness, I think what Paul means is practice the presence of God, what Brother Lawrence is talking about in this quote. This, is, this was really funny to me. This, this, this work, pra- practicing the presence of God, this work was written in 1600, 1692. And they felt busy in 1692. Fast forward 2022. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking they didn't have computers. They didn't have emails. They didn't have cacao. Cacao keeps me busy all the time. Uh, we think about sort of our pace and our, our lives, especially those that are living in a city like Seoul. We're constantly bombarded with noise, clutter, notifications, almost always distracted. I was hanging out with a good friend and their couple, and they have uh, two kids. One, Eleanor's age, age four. Second, uh, much younger. We're hanging out during the day, went to like a farmer's market, and good friend. And I just like looked at him and said, hey, come back to us. Like he, he had just, he was just out, out somewhere. I was like, come back to us. Let's engage. Because I, I feel like that's how I feel half, half the week, just going one thing to another, notification. Oh, I'm, 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 I want to check my email. The next thing you know, I'm watching like the game highlights or next hour, right? Just distracted. I open up my phone and I don't even remember what, why I opened up my phone. Um, so, so in a busy pace like City of Seoul, we have to be, so yes, we have to be intentional about slowing our lives. I mean, that, that's, I think, just what we need to realize. We need to learn to get away, turn off our devices. Have you ever, when was the last time you turned off your phone? You're like, never, right? We have like battery anxiety here in this city. Uh, but, but really, we have to set healthy boundaries, but even what Brother Lawrence and what, uh, what Apostle Paul is saying is even when we are busy, the encouragement is we continue to learn to pray even in the busyness. Even in the most chaotic moments, you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, and all your kids are hungry, they're screaming. Brother Lawrence says you can still find tranquility. You can still find this connection with God. And here's a following quote by uh, Brother Lawrence, and this is the last quote from Brother Lawrence, but I think it's really, really good. He's, he's a six, 17th century monk, right? He's, his whole thing was spiritual discipline, uh, discipline and practicing these things, and he says this about uh, spiritual discipline. He says, I have abandoned all particular forms of devotion, the monk saying this, all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. He is a professional prayer guy saying, I've given up all different techniques because I realize the most important thing is ability to pay attention. Ability to pay attention to God because God is always speaking to him. Friends, this is... One thing that stuck out to me when I was reading Brother Lawrence and, and what Paul was encouraging us to do, 
Anyone feeling overwhelmed by pace of your life? Anyone? I feel overwhelmed. This week was crazy. Um, if you're like me, here's a key to living a, a, a life that is less hurried, maybe unhurried life. Uh, even in the busy seasons of life, if we could practice habitual silences and the secret conversation with God, these little practices can completely change not only the pace of your life, but really decisions and words and, and how we speak to our spouse, how we speak to our children. I mean, sometimes I'm in the car. I have two girls. They think, they think they're both DJs. They want this music. They're screaming. They're crying. And I'm just like, I just want to go crazy. <laughs> like, I look at Lois. I'm like, I want to go crazy. But then at that moment, there is an opportunity for us to engage God and say, oh, Lord, give me patience. Give me strength. Practice the presence, guys. I want to really encourage you guys throughout your day. So second part, verse 2, second part, Paul adds not only this practice of presence, but he also says, be watchful in your life with thanksgiving. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's not simply, Paul's not encouraging just us to simply be aware of God's presence. That's great. But also, it is, Paul's calling us to cultivate hearts that continue to to, to, to cultivate this sense of gratitude. But truth is, gratitude is hard, isn't it? Last night, we were in a wonderful dinner. One of our church members took Lois and I to this wonderful dinner, a wonderful place, probably best meal of the year. And, my, and, and they give us this amazing steak, Hanu steak, and we're eating, amazing. At the end, they even give us dessert, ice cream, right? And they brought this ice cream. My girls are all excited. And they, didn't, they only brought vanilla, vanilla flavor. My, my daughter Emma goes, I don't want this. I'm like, entitled, which is an amazing meal. And you're just, you know, like I, 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 I know I'm aging because I keep telling my daughter, hey, when I was your age story, and my daughter's like, well, you're not my age, dad. But truth is, gratitude is hard. It isn't natural for most of us. Our culture in large, right? When you think about culture, the life that we live, it breeds not gratitude, but really entitlement. Because we live in the wealthiest era of human history, right? We can just go out and get food. We don't have to hunt. We don't have to wait. We have coupon apps. We can literally order whatever we want. And we can eat it probably for dinner tonight, and we are constantly looking, right? So living in that society, we're constantly looking for the next thing, the bigger thing, the better thing. You see, gratitude, when you think about gratitude, it requires moving our eyes from the things we don't have to the things that we have. Very simple. We know this. To be content, to have gratitude, we need to stop looking at the things we don't have and start realizing what we have is actually good. It means saying there is good, real good in the car that we drive, in the job that we have, in the city that we live. In one sense, if we want to have gratitude, it requires you and I to confess what we currently have in life is good enough. But here's an example. I'll share my own sense of entitlement. Do you know No Brand? I love No Brand stores. They're like this, um, they're like Kirkland for E-Mart, like sort of this off-brand. Um, E-Mart 
started a burger place, right? No brand burger, no brand pizza. Uh, they have a bunch of chains in, in Korea. There's one in my neighborhood uh, by the station. And first time I walked by a no brand store, and even, uh, even now I walk by no brand store, there's this slogan. They have this slogan, and it just makes me laugh out loud. As a business major, I'm like, this is the worst advertising ever. Um, the slogan is, why pay more? It's good enough. That's the slogan for a burger place, right? So every time I go past by, I'm just like, that's just is not good enough, right? It's like, I, 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 like every time I look, I see it every day. I'm like, Lois, like, the, and she's like, you said this 10 times, babe. Like, stop, stop talking about it. Um, and I think about it, right? I think that slogan is terrible because deep down inside, I live with great sense of entitlement. It's because deep down inside, I don't want good enough. I look at that sign, and I say, I don't want to pay $4. I'll pay 10 bucks, right, if I can find a better burger. Simple slogan like this exposes my own sense of entitlement. In, ingratitude, right, entitlement, like any sin, is sort of a, a plant or a monster that grows when we continue to feed it. But when we starve it, it can also begin to shrink, and this is where the gratitude comes in, and we need gratitude. Joshua 4, Old Testament. Um, after the people of Israel supernaturally crossed the Jordan River to enter the promised land. Remember that story? Joshua, after Moses, leads the people uh, into the promised land. God commands Joshua to choose 12 men, one from each tribe. And God tells them, take 12 stones. Each man take a stone from the place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them at the place where they were going to camp that night. And these stones, right, Joshua tells them, these stones are stones of remembrance, and they were to serve as an important reminder to the future generations of God's faithfulness. You see, to everyone else, this the stone, these stones that are piled together were just heap of rubble. But to the people of God, to, to the future generation, they were a constant reminder. Every time Israelites passed by that area, it was a reminder of how faithful God has been. Monday, I had, no, Tuesday, I had a chance to grab lunch with one of the pastors that were visiting town. He's based out of Irvine, um, Someone I really respect. He's been in ministry for 25 years. And we just caught up. I haven't seen him since COVID. Just catching up. He knew we planted a church. I think we, I, we talked maybe a year after we planted. And he's just catching. He just wants me to catch him up. And I was just sharing about the joys and the challenges and the difficulties of COVID, moving, and, and all the difficult things we've gone through. And, you know, pastor, this pastor, he's just so gracious. You know, he's... In his 50s, he's seen it all. So he's just very gracious. He's listening to, to you know, what I was sharing. And at, at the end of my time, I, I asked um, this pastor, I asked him, how do, you, how do you keep going? Like, you've been in ministry. You've been serving this one church for 25 years. Most people don't make, year, make it past year three in pastoral ministry. Like, if you look at the numbers, year three, every, most people are done at that time. And this guy's been doing this for 25 years. So I was like, how do you do it? How do you, like, and he's leading a much bigger church. And I'm like, how do you do this? How do you deal with all of the things you have to deal with? 
And he says, well, Simon, whenever things are tough, I, I, I try to remind myself all the ways that God has showed up in my life, in, our, in the life of our church. And he said, during early years of church plan, I think first five, six years, he had to work two jobs, ministry and teach, to be able to keep the church going. Uh, he told me there was a time uh, when his, one day his wife called him. This is like year five of his church plan, year five. Still working full-time jobs, still trying to survive. Multiple kids. Wife calls him and says, hey, hey, babe, we need to buy some milk. And he says, okay, let me, let me, and she said, well, I tried to buy milk and I couldn't. There's no money in the bank. So, so he goes, okay, let me move some things around. Give me, give me a couple days. I got to move some things around and then let's buy milk later towards the end of the week. Uh, that same night, he arrives home and he realizes the lights are off. So he asks his wife, what happened? She says, well, we haven't paid bills in like months. They cut us off, right? Um, and, and, and so while all this is going on, a church member happens to swing by the house. And, and his church members at the time are all in their 20s because they're all teenagers when, they, when he planted this church. Um, church member just happened to swing by to pick up something and saw this was all going on. And, and you know, they're like early 20s. They don't even know what's happening, what the needs are. But from that moment, like just one thing after another, God continued to provide. So this pastor tells me, every time I go through something difficult at church, I just look back and say, man, God has been so good to us. There was a time when we didn't have formula for my own children. We didn't have light, and God provided. So really, um, whatever I'm facing now, I'm, I, I constantly remind myself to go back to where God has brought us out of. And then I'm like, okay, I got nothing to complain about. I wish you told me the story before I share my own stories because, you know, I got nothing to complain about. But friends, just like this pastor, just like people in Joshua 4, we need to be constantly reminded. Like if you think about the first time you got, everyone has a cell phone. You bought that phone, Samsung or iPhone, and you're like, I'm not going to go on a phone rant because I love tech. I'm not going to do that. But you buy that phone and you're like, I love it. It's amazing. It just takes a week, takes a month, and then you realize, okay, I want a better phone. You, you lose appreciation of the wonder of, 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 of receiving that. Same thing with our, our, our workplace. Same thing with our homes. I mean, this is just human nature. So we need to constantly be reminded of where God has brought us out of. So as we celebrate five years, one really cool moment for us, uh, some of you guys are new to our community, but about a year and a half ago, we were told, we were meeting in Wangshimni at a mall. We were renting uh, this place called Medusa. That's another, another story, another time. This, this really dark, scary place. Uh, we thought it was a great idea to plant a church. Um, we were there for about three, three and a half years. And we were planning to be there. The mall was shutting down slowly during COVID. But the mall management promised us, hey, we'll work with you guys. And you guys could probably stay and we'll figure something out. But then all of a sudden, things changed. I get a phone call from the management, management team telling us we have to move. I think this was like maybe April and we had to move by June. They're like, you got to get out. We're shutting down the mall. And I'm like, no plans, you know, no no. Plan B, um, we had no money for a down payment. I mean, we're a church plan. There's down payment in the city is like minimum like 50, 50 million won. I think we had like 10 million won in the bank account at the time, right? We're just month to month. Um, 
And we were also coming out of really divisive uh, season in our church where there was so much dis- disunity, people leaving. There was just so much pain, right? And it was like right after that season, you know, I get this phone call. I'm just like, okay, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but, but the Lord knew my, 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 my sort of inability to move forward. So that same week, as soon as we were notified, um, the first person I called was a pastor of this church, the Korean church that meets earlier, uh, Yehan Church. I didn't know Pastor Sean. He, that's his English name. I didn't know Pastor Sean really well. I met him twice, three times. I only called him, not to move into the space, because I, I heard that he knew somebody all the way in Hongdae that had a cafe, like a small cafe that we could rent from. So I just, I just picked up my phone and I called Pastor Sean. And Pastor Sean picks up the phone, right? As soon as I tell him, like, what's happening to us, Pastor Sean's like, that's really strange because I just got a call yesterday from the church that we're meeting. So this church used to rent to another church at 2 o'clock. And he's like, I just got a call from the pastor yesterday saying they want to move out. No negotiation, nothing, no notification. We're moving out next month. And Pastor Sean's like, maybe Lord is providing for you guys. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, that's, that's, that's crazy, right? That God would know. Like I was thinking, we're going to go to like this small tiny cafe and gonna try to make, make it a church. But Lord provided a place like this. So many stories past five years like this. Um, so we got to remember, guys. I, I know sometimes I get frustrated renting. A 1.30 service, I, I got to talk to like the Korean staff and figure out sometimes there are other things that we need, you know, renting is not the easiest, but I got to remind myself, man, this is God's provision for us. Amen? So I want to encourage you guys, let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. It's 2.50, what happened? Okay, I got to run through the next two points really quickly. Um, Second thing Paul says is pray continually for the advancement of the gospel. Verse 3, Paul says, at the same time, pray also for me. He says, you pray, but also pray for me. Verse 3, so that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ clearly. Remember what got Paul arrested in Rome in the first place was him preaching Christ. Yet he says, if I could ask you to pray for anything, pray for me that I would be able to preach better. I would be able to preach more, that more opportunities will arise. So today after this time together at 4 o'clock, as it was announced, we're going to celebrate by a fundraiser dinner. Uh, this fundraiser dinner is for a church in Nepal. For past five years, since the birth of our church, we have been in partnership with a church in Kathmandu. Uh, this guy's name is Narbu. We met in seminary about 12 years ago. He's a Nepali. He's a Serpa, the guys that take people uh, on Mount Everest. Uh, he just loves the Lord. He's just so committed to doing the will of God that when we planted, I reached out and I said, hey, we want to support you guys from the very beginning. And I know we haven't mentioned Nepal a lot in this service, but they have been faithfully uh, doing the work of the gospel ever since we've been planted. We are grateful for their partnership. Um, and, and so, um, you know, Naibu, this pastor, and I have very little in common. He's like five feet tall, and he is um, 
He's, he's not interested in tech, our temperament, our interests, our approach. But every week, Pastor Narbu sends me like 10 Facebook messages. I mean, who sends Facebook messages? But he does. Or 10 Facebook messages. Uh, it's all about churches being planted, people being baptized, how he was able to share the gospel with people in his town. Um, and, and, and it took me a while to appreciate these messages because I'll wake up and I'll get like 20 messages and 20 videos about what God is doing in Nepal. And I'm just like, hey, are you going to say, how are you doing, Sangmin? How's everything? How are you kids? And I realized, though, it's not that Naibu does not care about my children or my life. It's that to someone like Naibu, who's so committed to the gospel, like Paul, seeing people come to Jesus is the most important goal of his life. So even though it's, 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 it's awkward and it's intense, I, I am really grateful for God sending us a partner like uh, Naibu. The House of Hope is the name of the church in Kathmandu. And last five years, they faithfully planted churches outside of Kathmandu. They baptized new believers, trained leaders and missionaries. I just got a message this morning. I couldn't read it, like another 20 messages about what God is doing. Um, so I want to encourage us, as Paul is asking the church to pray, that we would continue to pray for Naibu, for Nepal, for Kathmandu. You know, last 10 years, Nepalese government has become much more hostile to any type of evangelism um, and, and, and church organizations. So pray for churches to continue to flourish and grow even in this climate. Third and final advice. That's just a little plug for tonight's dinner and encouragement for us to continue to pray. Third and final advice that Paul has is walk and speak with wisdom towards outsiders. That's verses five and six. Paul spends a significant portion of the letter warning against those that are outside, false teachers that have entered the church from outside. Yet he doesn't forget to conclude the letter by emphasizing the need to love those that are also on the outside. Verse 5, the imagery of walking that Paul so often uses in his letters alludes to all areas of life, the way we work, the way we play, the way we make decisions, the way we spend our money and time, in every way, Paul says, let it align with the gospel, with the truth of Jesus. Let every area of our life reveal the generosity and compassion of Christ. That's the idea as Paul wraps up this letter. And in verse 6, he emphasizes, he doesn't just say and generally walk in truth, he says, be careful of how you speak. Be careful of how you say things. Just like the book of James and many other biblical writers have spoken much about importance of our speech, the way we speak. And so Paul encourages the church and, and perhaps us, the way we speak, let it be seasoned with salt. This is Greek idiom, right? Seasoned with salt, which means let every word be warm, winsome, and thoughtful, especially, again, to those that are outside of Christian community. James, in his, in his letter to the church, compared our tongue to fire, right? This passage in James 3, how it could spark and ignite, right, a, a great wildfire if it's not careful. 
how it is really hard to tame the way we speak. It is one of the most powerful, destructive weapons of Satan against God's people. I mean, think about, like this week, the fights and arguments that you've had, perhaps with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your own children, with your parents. Think about why you were arguing. Like, what were you guys fighting about? A big, I mean, I wasn't there in your, in your fights but a large percentage is because one of the spouse or, or one, of the, one, of one party probably misspoke. You didn't mean to say what you said or you felt misunderstood or you failed to communicate what needed to be said, right? And that's true about most arguments. The arguments that we run into, that's really true. The words that we speak. So how can we do better? Like that's the question as we wrap up. How can we speak better? How can we live more wisely? How can we grow in the way even we argue and disagree? We're not going to agree with everybody, but how do we do it in a wise way? We've got to look back to verse 2 again of our passage. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Right? I think that's really the key. I think this, this passage seems like three different ideas, but really Paul's about one thing again. He's saying, continue, moment by moment, practice my presence. Not Paul, practice the presence of Jesus in your life. Before we speak, before we make decisions, before we engage, we're called to steadfastly pray to God, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and his words intentionally to borrow the words of brother lawrence to intentionally practice habitual silence and secret conversation with god that fills you with overwhelming wisdom and joy and we see this most clearly right the wonderful model of this is when jesus hung on that roman cross fighting for his final few breaths the angry crowd came and hurled inserts, insults at Jesus saying, he saved everyone else, but he can't save himself. And Jesus remained silent and continued to carry on a secret conversation with God the Father saying, God, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Father, I commit my spirit to you. Father, I trust you. And, and, and friends, what's amazing is that very prayer that Jesus prayed on that Roman cross was concerning us because it's only through his death, his blood, his sacrifice that we are given courage, we are given strength to walk in wisdom just as Paul is calling us to. Amen? Wow, three o'clock. I'm so sorry. Let's pray. Lord, we, we're wrapping up Book of Colossians, and there's so much that we are we can glean from the book. Uh, but one reminder that we want to walk away with is this truth that we are not saved by our own systems or rules or ideas of what it means to be a good Christian that only through Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, we have been invited. So Lord, 
I just pray this reminder. Pray for King's Cross Church as we celebrate year five that we would truly understand what it means to live lives that are transformed by the gospel. But we know we have not earned our way to your house. We've simply been invited. This is your house. This is your table. This is your life. This is your place. So as we come, we are grateful, Lord. If anyone here is struggling with gratefulness, would you remind them what you have brought them out of? Would you remind us what we have? We do not have them unless you have given them to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for your body. Thank you, Jesus, for life that we have only because of you. Just let me pray. Amen.